this week on the It's a Monkey podcast. When you're able to get somebody that comes on your show that's vulnerable and can share the real them and have a real conversation rather than a, a soundbite or a, uh, a canned conversation, that's the true win. Somebody that's actually genuine and, and is displaying their real self. Good evening, hello, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garber. I am recording this podcast on Tuesday, the 20th of March, 2018 from downtown Sydney. And as always, I have my great co-host with me, Kate Frappel. Kate is the design lead at Manage Flitter, which I have to be honest with you, that title is probably totally meaningless by now, Kate. Am I right? It's like it really doesn't capture... Anything. We should look at re. You listening in on sort of you know startup world team chat here. We should re look at your title into something that actually a bit reflective of just do a bit of bloody everything. That really should be your title, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, even recently, I I ordered some new business cards to go to the social media marketing world, uh-huh. and. Like I went to put my name and title, and I was like, I don't know about this title. <laughs> no, we we definitely. I was just, I was like, you know, design lead. Like, come on, man, you yeah. you 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 push content marketing. You you work with me on the podcast. You busy on product and manage social. You managing, uh, you know, a bunch of sort of virtual assistants you you know deal with all sorts of bits and pieces I throw you away. So yeah, I don't know. Hey. Go wild. Pick your own title. See, there's, there's advantages to working with a startup. Just just pick your own title, Kate. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's too hard. <laughs> so we, we, we need to – if you're listening to this podcast and you have a – maybe you've got your own startup. I don't know. Kate Kate does really – it does a bit of everything. She Kate started as an intern and did an amazing job and um, has sort of been with us for a while and now drives a lot of initiatives. And the most exciting one – um, being managed social, where Kate's done an incredible job on the the UI and the design side of things, and we're so excited to to kind of be releasing that. I know we've been talking about it for ages, but slow and steady wins the race in the end. But hey, before we get into this week's podcast, how was uh, the social media marketing world? That massive conference down in San Diego, which uh, you were lucky enough to to go to. Just give us a little bit of the lay of the land, what that was like. There was a lot of buzz online about it. It's the supposed to be one of the biggest conferences um, in that industry. How was it? Yeah, it was great. It was great. They No expense spared. Like There was always something to do. They had like all these great guests that were there to do speeches and talks and the keynotes were great. But yeah, I think this is about the fifth year they've done that, like had this particular conference and it just seems to get stronger and stronger by the sounds of things. But yeah, no, like learnt heaps, lots of networking, I think the challenge was like for me, I just got so overwhelmed with trying to get to all these different talks and topics because all of them were so interesting. But a lot of them like doubled up on the time slide or like, you know, you sacrifice networking time to go to all the talks. And yeah, it's, there's so much there. Like you kind of have to like make a little agenda for yourself. What t- Tell us. Tell us some of the trends. Tell us three trends that are going on in social at the moment um, or in online marketing or in, in that industry. Was there, was there a, a sort of theme or, or, or a common buzz? You know, was it Snapchat, Instagram stories? Is it just a confusion? Is it what, what's, how, <laughs> what's the buzz in the industry? Well, probably from a marketing perspective, influencer marketing, uh-huh. sort of forming these relationships with people that can authentically 
represent your brand um, rather than doing like traditional advertising, which people aren't people aren't buying from that anymore. Like a lot of the big like big companies with big brands, they're getting a little bit dismissed now because people want to go for the smaller niche niche brand that they you know they might know who makes it or they've got a friend who works there or you know or there's these influencers online that they can relate to and they say oh well so and so is using this brand so maybe I'll give it a go and so it's sort of it's not cool to buy from the big people anymore it's sort of cooler to buy from smaller people so yeah that was an interesting one like to get your message out there is to to find these influencers but instagram stories and just Instagram in general, like visual marketing's like a big thing this year. And yeah, I mean, Snapchat, not really. I mean, I think the whole stories idea came from them. Um, and that's probably what they're getting like the credit for. But in terms of like, if you wanted to advertise and, and do more work on there, you'd probably be better off on Instagram stories because that's where it's being built out. And of course, you can like push your stories from Instagram to Facebook now as well. So it's all integrated there. So that was super interesting. Um, there's a lot. I mean, like even they had a couple of talks on Pinterest. Like Pinterest is sort of the next, not the next Google, but like a it's a search engine. So mm-hmm. people are using that to discover new things and trends and share articles. So it's a big one for content marketing. Yeah, I mean, Facebook, like they've changed the algorithm for the business business pages so uh, you're not getting enough reach there anymore so there's a lot of chatter about where to where to focus your business efforts on social now so they're sort of saying that we should go to LinkedIn instead to share things that's a much more engaged audience there Um, and Facebook groups rather than pages yeah interesting yeah I've noticed Facebook groups have really um, taken off did did, um, was there any any talk about cryptocurrency? I know it's a social media marketing conference, but did, did crypto sneak in anywhere? Not really, no, not uh-huh. that I saw, no. I mean, people sort of referred to it as like the buzz topic, but not in terms of in social media, no. And social media, it's, it's social media sorts are quite different to tech sorts, right? When I go to tech conferences and everyone's geeking out. But social mm-hmm. media sorts are actually quite... Um, Pretty social. I mean, uh, this sounds a bit obvious, but they they much more extroverted, social, sort of yeah. buzzy people, right? Yeah. No, they're very interesting to be around. Uh, and I think too, like this particular conference, they put out, you know, they have these big parties and networking events, and like it's really up the alley of the sort of the social media managers and stuff, and they get all this networking and everybody's tweeting each other, and like it's a massive big social event. It's great. Yeah, I, I've gotten a lot out of tech conferences in the US. I've spoken many times, I guess, about the TechCrunch Disrupt Conference, which I've always enjoyed, which is a mixture of tech and entrepreneurship. And um, I encourage you, if you're listening to the podcast and you're not in the US, or even if you're in the US and you have the opportunity to go to one of these high-profile conferences, I really recommend it. You, you'd land up learning a ton and meeting super nice people. They're exhausting though, aren't they, Kate? They really, really, really take it out of you. It really, um, you underestimate how, how hard it is to sort of sit and listen and, t- and network the whole day. You come to the end of the day, you're wiped. Yeah, anyway, that's social media marketing world. That's, that's interesting. As usual, we've got a great podcast uh, coming up, we got an interview this week with a with a podcaster, uh, sort of 
professional podcaster, Doug Sandler, who's the author of Nice Guys Finish First and the CEO and founder of Turnkey Podcast. We chat with him later on in the show. Um, and if you missed um, our most previous podcast, sort of uh, episode 114, we chatted to Vincent Lotempio, who's a patent attorney and the co-author of Patent Fundamentals for Scientists and Engineers. And we had a great chat. He was really a lovely guy. And, and, and perhaps what was most interesting is his human story of how he, he had an accident at a young age and, and lost his hand, and, and he still overcame that to, to live a good, happy life. I, I like the human, the human stories you know, be behind everyone and how they got to where they, they got to and what's behind you know, their success, etc. So that's uh, episode 114. You can always go to itsamonkey.com and just have a look at our previous podcast. We've got some great interviews with people like Kevin Kelly, super smart guy, Dr. John Demartini, uh, Melanie Perkins, CEO of Canva. We've got, you know, 114 episodes. We've got a lot of hours there. So um, if you're going on, sometimes I'm going on a long drive soon. And when I go on a long drive, I actually love to, I love to find a new podcast and just, uh, and just sort of get in there and just listen episode after episode. Do you ever do that, Kate? Yeah. Yeah. Not so much on a road trip, but I do sort of, you know, lately I've been dog sitting. Uh, I've been doing lots of walking and yeah, I found a couple of new podcasts I quite like, and you can sort of just binge listen to them. Oh, it's great. There's a, there's a woman called Esther Perel, and she's um, a psychologist in New York, and she's a super, super smart woman. She writes a lot about relationships, and uh, but from a very sort of intellectual perspective, and she's released two series of, of podcasts where she actually records sessions with couples. She, she had the first series she released on Audible and she's just released the second series and she is just such a wise woman. I love listening to her talk and I'm looking forward to listening to those 10 episodes on my 10-hour drive coming up. Australia is a big country so that we got a lot of sometimes long drives and uh, Esther, Esther Perel, she's actually, she did quite a few talks recently at South by Southwest which is supposed to be another fantastic mm. um, conference of technology meets music and um, she's, she did some talks there and she's just a, a wonderfully smart woman. So um, I'm looking forward to listening to her podcasts. So a little bit different to technology. I like to listen to podcasts. I've actually, I've categorized my podcasts and my podcast players, you know, into the, the tech, the business, um, the non-business, the inspirational. The, and I like to sort of, depending on my mood, dip in and out of the different flavors of the podcast. So I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm currently listening to a Canadian guy. I shared it on the Slack channel. That's become all the Rage, Jordan Peterson. Um, he's oh, from, I haven't I think, had that one yet. I think from the University of Toronto. And he, boy, is he putting Canada on the map, Kate. He's, he's just he's just flavor of the month everywhere at the moment. Very smart right. guy. Yeah, talking about... Um, yeah, he's, re he's released a book, I think, The 12 Rules for Life or something like that. Um, that's really quite interesting. So, And he's got a podcast as well. So a controversial guy, but... Very smart guy, um, and uh, and and I pick up. He he says the A quite a lot, so he's Canadian. <laughs> definitely comes through. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the one I was listening to recently is uh, I don't know if you know, but the two comedians in Australia, Hamish and Andy. Uh huh. Uh huh. They they so famous they, radio guys, right? Famous radio guys, very funny. Um, but they used to put their radio show on a podcast, and now they don't do the radio show anymore. And they okay. finished up last year. So now they just do a podcast. 
Um, and yes, it's quite funny. So I've started listening to them again. And then there's another one called Experience This. Uh-huh. Um, and it's basically so unique customer service interactions. Uh, so they sort of oh, investigate. Yeah, but it's not so much just, you know, responses and stuff. There's like they give examples of where companies have gone above and beyond to to create an experience for the user. And then that user consequently just shares their experience online. They get like a free testimonial and free advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really interesting how all the different companies uh, attend to these customer services. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that definitely I'm, uh, would be interested in that one. I mean, there, there are so many good podcasts at the moment. I mean, I used to be a radio guy, right? I worked in radio. I grew up listening to radio. I love radio. I don't listen. I can't remember. Sometimes I listen to FBI, which is an incredible independent radio station in Sydney. Sometimes I listen to them online. I listen to the, the replays of BBC Radio 1 shows whilst I'm working. But in terms of live radio in Sydney... And like things like ABC, which is our national broadcast or commercial radio. In fact, when I get into an Uber and I hear a commercial radio station, I just cannot tell you how it just just grates on me the the ads and the the banal talk and it's just I just hate it. But podcasts are just absolutely. I think don't you think they help you exercise more because you just you go on a walk and you're listening to something and it's just you get in it and you can just sort of keep on going. And I find it actually it helps me do a lot more walking. What, because you want to listen to the end of it. Yeah. You just keep going. Yeah, I'm enjoying yeah. it. <laughs> so, <see> that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's uh, all, all our, our rambling about podcasts. But as usual, we've got an interview coming up later on in the show. But we're going to start off, as always, with some tech news. Um, we like to help you keep a, a, a breast of uh, what's going on. And there's always so much, so much happening. And uh, interesting story, Kate, computer modeling could replace living animals in drug testing. Now, I'm pretty interested in that because uh, uh, I'm really interested in, in about, uh, about animal rights, um, animal welfare, and, um, you know, and, and what benefits we actually get from testing on animals because it is quite controversial. It's been controversial for a long time. So tell us about some of this new computer modeling that, that they're using. Yeah, so there's a there's a team from the University of Oxford, and they've been awarded recently for their research into these uh, computer simulations instead of using animals. Um, so currently, there's uh, like in a, in preclinical studies, they used you know rats, mice, guinea pigs, rabbits, and in some cases dogs, pigs, and that exceeds like sixty thousand animals a year. So there's that this is, team at Oxford. That, yeah, that's a big amount, right? It's a lot of animals, yeah. This team have been working on this software called a virtual Asai, and basically it models human cardiac cells. Um, so I think this may, I couldn't find out completely, but it may just be related to sort of cardio health, so your heart. But, yeah, so they can replicate that and then test on the model instead. So they've tested like 62 different drugs, mm-hmm. um, and it's had basically an 89% success rate, um, which is of detecting arrhythmia, which is like an irregular heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and so compared to animal testing, it's basically better better than that in some cases, the results are all on par. That's fantastic. I mean, I think they've been experimenting with this for a long time and they're obviously getting better at it. I do believe that all medicines in Australia need to be tested on animals before they're released. 
stand to be corrected, yeah. but I think in America and Australia, they actually do have to go through some type of animal testing. I understand, you know, you, you want to you want to prevent any any problems with people but boy we've got so much computing power these days yeah surely we should continue to apply it i mean 60,000 animals is crazy i've actually met two people in my life one from melbourne who she was doing i think research on alzheimer's if i remember correctly and she would do a lot of work on mice and she said she would um, it sounds terrible but when she was finished up with them and i'm putting air quotes here um, when she was finished up with them, she would just uh, gas them and kill them. Um, met oh, really? another person in Australia working, I think, something attached to one of the universities. And I think she managed actually the animal laboratory there where I think academics who wanted to do experiments would actually come to her and um, organize something. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of crazy stuff. And unfortunately, particularly at some of the universities, they get incredibly experimental sometimes and do incredibly crazy things on the animals, you know, um, in the name yeah. of research. And it's, uh, I mean, even in my days of uni a million years ago, there were a lot of protests against the animal lab there, a lot of protests. So it's, it's good that this is out there. We're thinking about it. Animals shouldn't be just our playthings to do experiments on, really. In my opinion, it's just, you know, they, they should be allowed to live their own lives and uh, really only be used when we really, really need it, you know, and, and it's really at, as a final maybe stage to save human lives. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree with you. And also, like, if they perfect this enough, you would think if you can replicate a human model, wouldn't that be more accurate than than the model of a rat if it's a human drug? Well, that's been one of the arguments for ages is that it's not, you know, mice and rats, while they do have a lot in common with human, there's actually a lot. I think there was a famous study on beta carotene, if I remember correctly, which is one of the, the ingredients in carrots. And they isolated it or they synthesized just that ingredient. And I think they ran an experiment on rats or mice and everything was fine. And when they started running it on humans, there was a, a real cluster of, of cancer problems that came up pretty quickly and they ended the study immediately, wow. obviously. And, and it was just goes to show that there's, there's a huge amount of differences. So absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's not even, you know, the aim should not even be to replicate that testing experience, but to do something far more accurate and far more superior and with the benefit of not having to kill an, inner, an innocent animal in the interim as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think too, like the, this sort of computer modeling, it's been around for a while. People are talking about it, but it's not really a major part of like the scientific pipeline. But yeah, like this software in terms of just your cardiovascular health and the animals, this sort of will start to bridge that gap. Yeah, I have to, I have to say, Kate, like um, I've been mostly vegetarian for for 20 years or so. And um, I never in my wildest dreams thought that this current wave of veganism in, in Australia and parts of America, I don't, I'm sure Canada as well. Am I correct in saying it's also become quite a thing there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot more vegetarians and vegans. But right. yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a population of them. I never in my wildest dreams thought like veganism would become a thing. I just, I, I wouldn't have put $1 on it. And it has become such a 
movements. I mean, even I thought, I, I joked with my friends the other day that we've hit peak veganism because my barber, which is, he's a, he's a big, lovely Lebanese chap that rides a massive motorbike and he's sort of as traditional archetypal sort of male as they come. And he said to me the other day, he didn't say he's going vegan. It wasn't that far. But he did say that he's investing in a vegan cafe because he sees the future of it. And I was just like, I, I thought to myself, wow, that's, uh, that's you, you know, this is, this is a, a chap that wouldn't have even done it for business purposes 10 or 20 years ago. So it's become, yeah. I think the level of, may, I, I think my point is the, its mainstream nature has become quite remarkable. And, I, and the benefit in trickling down to things like computer modeling and people more interested in protecting the rights and sanctity of, of animals to live out their own life in a way that they, they deserve is, is quite fascinating. I'm, I'm excited by it, and I, I think it's all a good thing. Yeah, I definitely. Definitely agree with you on that one. So, yeah, let's hope some of that computer modeling keeps on, keeps on going. Instagram and Snapchat pull Giphy integration. Now, Giphy is a, yeah, I mean, Giphy is an amazing business. It's, it's, uh, you might be familiar with Giphy if you use Facebook. I think they've got Twitter um, integration. It's basically you can search for an animated GIF with, a, with some text over that's a bit, bit meme-like. And it's actually quite a remarkable business they've, they've managed to build. So talk to us about um, Instagram and Snapchat pulling the Giphy integration. Yeah, so earlier this year, so just in January, both Instagram and Snapchat sort of partnered with Giphy uh, to add that into the stories feature. Mm -hmm. So when you take a picture, you used to be able to put stickers and stuff on over the top, which you could still do that. Mm -hmm. But you could also click a, a GIF option and search the GIF library or the Giphy library and then put like animated images or GIFs on top of your story. Mm -hmm. um, and it just gave you like a whole heap more options than you would of just the sticker library. But because this is an integration, Giphy, there was a, and these are all GIFs that are created by the public. Um, so in order to get into Instagram or Snapchat, they need to be moderated by the people at Giphy. Right. And what slipped through was one that sort of violated the terms of service and it had like a racial undertone uh, to it and people were, tweeting and contacting Instagram and Snapchat saying, why are you allowing this GIF on your platform? And so they pulled it. So now that Giphy integration has gone from right. Snapchat and Instagram, which a lot of people aren't happy about, but like Snapchat and Instagram couldn't really risk their brand going down by standing with Giphy on uh, an incorrect GIF appearing, I guess. Yeah, so I think if you, if you typed in crime, Mm -hmm. It would be, um, it was basically from memory, it was just a, they were making a, a game out of a racial joke. Right. And yeah, it, at the end of the day, it shouldn't have slipped through Giphy's filters and turned up on Instagram and Snapchat, but it did. And so, yeah, they were really quick just to pull it straight out. It amazes me that um, obviously inappropriate content is still being created by people. It just... Just, yeah, it's interesting as well. Like Giphy themselves, they are, uh, well, any of these platforms really, like any social network, that you have to have that kind of level of moderation because you're allowing just anyone in the world basically to create an account and say things, share things, spread 
ideas and stuff. And a lot of the time the sentiment would be good, but like you have to figure out a way of monitoring the negative ones. You know, it's such a difficult issue, Kate, because obviously freedom of speech and actually this Canadian chap I'm, I'm talking about, Jordan Peterson, he talks about how, you know, our society is the freedom of speech is, is an important glue that, that is so important. But when it f- flips over into something that's, that not only contributes nothing, but but causes all sorts of problems. And Twitter's, you know, having such a problem with this is where do you draw the line? Where is the line? Who decides? And it's a lot more tricky online on online platforms because your reach is so big, because it's difficult to pick up context, geographies of are, are irrelevant, and it's an incredibly difficult issue to to solve. You know, even Facebook, they they ban the wrong things and let through um, you know, things they shouldn't let through. And it's, it's something that's still really, really yet to be solved. I mean, I think Facebook announced that they, you know, hiring 10,000 people that are just going to be responsible for monitoring their Facebook lives and their content. And so they've still a very human element to it all. And um, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, we, we, we mustn't get rid of the freedom of speech, but there's some s- content that's very obviously adds absolutely nothing. Of course, everyone's got their own idea of where that line is, right? And that's the problem. That's the challenge. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, like even this particular GIF, some people would be offended by it, others wouldn't, you know, or it's just one of those things and these companies just have to kind of stick, stick on the safe side a lot of the time and uh, and pull stuff off. Like, for example, you know, Twitter Twitter allows adult content, Facebook doesn't allow adult content. I don't know mm. about Instagram, but I'd also like to think, like, I don't, I don't know what value that adds to the platform, to be honest. You know, like, it's funny. I don't think that content is what's causing the most problems for Twitter, funnily enough. I don't think it's no. actually that adult content. It's, it's a lot of the trolling. It's a lot of the harassment. It's a lot of the bullying. So it's actually, the, I don't think that adult side of things is actually the problem area. No, I don't think so either. I mean, they recently got in trouble too because they did like a big clean out and consequently a lot of like conservatives had their accounts deleted. And I I don't know, but I, I guess part of that filter that they put through to delete these accounts and stuff was related to gun violence. Right. And some of these accounts, you know, mention that. They mention guns or, or the right to bear arms and consequently get deleted because those keywords showed up. I think it would actually be great, Kate, if all these platforms got together and actually had a bit of a conference and even were public about it. It's like, 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 you know, where, where does freedom of speech sit and how do we approach this and, and even start out with like a code of ethics for themselves and their users and let, let, let's try to reimagine this in terms of the new landscape of um, these new platforms and these new technologies that have become so central to our lives. Right, and how do we deal with kids being on the platform and the problems of the the even what what do you you know there's Instagram fit models that that for some of the young women cause cause problems and and all these and and all the challenges you know let's all there's few enough of them there's Instagram which is Facebook essentially there's there's Twitter there's Snapchat you know they're all almost in the same geography um, and we need to t- talk about it more and properly in a in, in a mediated manner, there's a very smart people like Sheryl Sandberg involved, um, Jack Dorsey, 
Yeah, so some of the Instagram guys, um, I think we can do a better job of all of this, don't you think? Yeah, I think definitely. I think a part of the battle too is, as well is that they they all have different policies and different definitions. Like in a way, I don't know whether it would be better or worse if they all sort of collaborated and had the same policy when it came to freedom of speech and privacy and things like that, whether that would sort of have like a blanket effect, not sure. But, yeah, yeah it, would be, it would be good to have a conversation about it at least. Well, look, I mean, they struggle to be consistent internally even, you know, so yeah. to, to be consistent across, across the platforms. One of the complaints is that people, are the, which is that they're not, they're not consistent. So, yeah, yeah. but, uh, you know, the, just because problems are hard, it doesn't mean we don't keep on trying. And social media is definitely here to stay. And, um, but we need to use it to, to ultimately create a better world for everyone. So uh, anyway, on that, on that philosophical note, that's, uh, that's, that's the end of our news segment. You're listening to Kevin Garber and Kate Frappel. Uh, we both work at Manage Flitter. If you haven't tried Manage Flitter and you've just stumbled on our podcast, welcome. Give Manage Flitter a go. It can give you a lot of nice insights into your Twitter account. And we've had a few pitches for people to be on our podcast lately. So we love getting that. Um, so email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. And also, if you've got a little business, let us know. We'll promote it for you for free, right? And we'll even put a link in our show notes. And you know that for SEO purposes, getting links on relevant sites is super, super important. So drop us a line at podcast at itsamonkey.com. We're going to take a, a quick break. And we're going to be back with the interview with um, Doug Sandler, who's the author of Nice Guys Finish First. And uh, he's the CEO and founder of Turnkey Podcasts. Stay with us. Hi, my name is Joe Pinto. I'm the Business Operations Manager here at Manage Flitter. Did you know that Twitter can be a powerful social selling platform? But the first step to effective social selling on Twitter is to grow your Twitter account with high-quality niche followers. For example, let's say you are an online bicycle retailer. Manage Flitter could help you grow your Twitter account by helping you find and follow people who have the word cyclist in their bio. The more targeted your search is, the higher likelihood these Twitter accounts will follow you back. We have millions of users, literally, that have used Manage Flitter's search, sort and filtering tools to grow their account with the right followers. This has provided them with a solid base to kickstart their social selling. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at contact at manageflitter.com to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough. You're back with the It's a Monkey podcast and now today... We are going very meta on the podcast. We're going to be talking a little bit about podcasts on the podcast. Now, I found someone who's done a lot more podcasts than us. He's uh, produced over 500 episodes of podcasts with more than 1 million downloads. And uh, straight from the East Coast of the United States of America, happy to have Doug Sandler, um, who's the CEO of turnkeypodcast.com and the author of Nice Guys Finish First, not Nice Guys Finish Last, right, which my mind immediately wants to do. Doug, so much, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. 
Kevin, it's so great to be here. And when I first heard that you were going to have me on your show, I'm like, somebody's playing a joke on me because I kept thinking, why would the why would the guy that was the founder and the the, the head muckety muck of Managed Litter want me on his show? And then I kept thinking, holy crap, this is this is like a legitimate moment for me. I get to meet fame and fort. Well, I get to meet fame. I'm not sure about if the fortune came along with it, Kevin. But let me tell you that Managed Flitter was the big the beginning of my entire. Twitter following. Without Managed Flitter, my following would have been pretty much nil. So thanks to you and your amazing gang and amazing customer service over at Managed Flitter, I, uh, I feel like I had the beginning of my uh, my community, which has grown to over a million and a half strong now. So thank you so much, Kevin, for, for being at the foundation of that. Doug, really appreciate that. And we hear that quite a bit that um, you know our tool really launched um, sort of many people's Twitter accounts and, and helping them sort of really hone in on, on, on what they, uh, you know, and who they want to follow. So uh, in, in our very tiny, tiny way, I guess we, we, you know, we minor internet celebrities. It always sort of, it always, I find it always quirky when I'm at a conference and I'm wearing a managed flitter shirt and on the odd occasion someone up, comes up to me and recognizes me and says, oh, cool, managed flitter. So uh, really do appreciate that. We are, we are a tiny team, but everyone really you know, punches well above their weight. And we, we do this uh, 50% from Sydney, Australia and 50% from team members around the world. So uh, I really do appreciate that. But let's get into, let's get into the interesting topic of uh, podcasting. You've... Uh, Turned out over 500 episodes. You've written a book. Um, tell us a little bit about how did you get into this this interesting aspect of the online marketing called uh, podcasting, which over the last couple of years has really just exploded, right? Yeah, the podcast channel, the podcast space itself is just an amazing, amazing space to be able to work in. I, I started here probably about five or six years ago, not in the podcast world, but I had a reinvention of my career that many years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I sat down with my financial planner and we were trying to figure out what was the next step in my life. I'd spent 30 years as a, as a DJ, as a guy that's out there in the, in the world of entertainment. And I was trying to figure out what I could do next. A um, professional speaking really was that thing that was pulling me towards it. And I, I hired a, uh, a speaking coach. I hired a book writing coach. I developed my platform and my message. And I had no way really to promote it. So I took to social media. And with the help, like I said, of, of Manage Flitter and many other social channels, I was able to, uh, to promote. But I really needed something that could show my personality. And the way that we found that was through podcasting. And I went to a good buddy of mine for about 20 years. And I said, I said, Strick, hey, how about if we start a podcast and we promote my book and my speaking program? And he said, that's great. I just have one question. And I said, what? He said, what's a podcast? Mm -hmm. <laughs> said, what what, what said, year was this? This was uh, 2015. So this was just a few years ago. This was um, uh, in Mar February of 2015. And I had really never listened to podcasts at that point. But I knew from just industry speak that it was a great way to promote your program and promote what you're doing. So we just took took an, uh, you know, a chance at it, and we were about 20,000 downloads in about 17 months into our ride, and I just thought, we're doing great, but we're not making any money. <laughs> so we, we really started to focus on a guest management tool that we created and built an entire platform, and now, fortunately, many, many dozens of podcasters have come to us and asked us, ask us to help them do the same thing that we've done. So we've just used this entire platform of podcasting as a way to promote creatively people's messages and their brand. And it has been a, a, a big home run for us since then. 
guest management platform. Tell us a little bit about that because definitely one of the challenges with our podcast is we to keep the interesting guests flowing. Um, sure. you know, we definitely realize that people like to listen to intelligent people with something interesting to say. And we're trying to keep our podcast going once a week. And, uh, you know, in, in a previous life, I actually worked at a talkback radio station in South Africa. And uh, I remember I used to produce a drive time show every single day that needed three hours of guests and I think it was about three guests every half hour so I had to I used to come in at 9 a.m in the morning and this was when the internet was almost nothing and I had to organize you know 15 guests or so as the news was changing during the day and I can tell you this was one of the most stressful jobs I have ever had in my life and this show was famous for burning out producers because it was so tough so I'm not quite sure why I'm complaining that I have to organize one guest every week (laughs) because compared to that granted I wasn't running a tech company at that stage but still you know even hearing myself just just organized having to organize one guest I should I should and most weeks we actually do organize that but it's still it's still the trickiest part of the podcast because it's probably the most open-ended aspect of the process so i i think most people when they have a podcast not unlike yourself because i think that you just hit uh, you know hit the the nail on the head most people have a challenge finding guests and how would how great would it be not only to have a handful of guests that are promoting themselves to get on your show uh, but how about this how about having a, a a guest management tool that's so good that you could have 30 40 50 people every week that apply for your show to be a guest and not only are they applying to be a guest on your show but they're applying to be a client of yours so when we started to take the focus off of our audience, now we love our audience and we love our community, but when we took the focus off of our community and we put the focus on a guest management program that actually brings somebody that has a great story that can help promote your message and they have the ability to buy the products and services that you that you sell. So in our case, it could be a consulting services, it could be a speaking service, it could be enterprise-wide managed Twitter service. It could be any number of different things. So these people are actually applying to be on our show. And when I say applying to be a guest, I'm also saying applying to be a client. How amazing would it be to be able to have people that are standing in line waiting to be clients of yours? Well, of course, um, you know, inbound sales leads are always the holy grail for any business. So anything that helps with that um, is, is absolutely gold, right? Absolutely. And that's what we created after 17 months of falling flat on our face and not making a cent. We decided to take the eye off of our audience because most people are trying in the podcasting space, trying to make money from some traditional traditional means like advertising or sponsorship or affiliate relationships or calls to action where you're asking for people to take action in your audience or donations. And honestly, 99.9% of the podcasters that are out there, they're not making enough money on those five things to sustain not just the production, but they have no way of making a living from their podcast. And when we really took the focus off of that, the audience growth and the monetization through traditional ways, and we went to the, the the process of understanding what our guests wanted, we not only found a better, deeper, richer connection with our guest, but we also found an ability to grow our audience because we really focused on one-on-one, which was our guest, not an invisible audience, to build our community. And we went from uh, 20,000 downloads after 17 months to 1.6 almost, 1.6 million downloads, which is where we are today, just 17 months later than that. So it, for us, it was the, it was definitely the way to go. Give us some of uh, the examples of the guests and the topics on your podcast. 
Sure, sure. I mean, well, we take every everything from entrepreneurs to business owners and business leaders. So uh, where most people, again, focus on the strength of their podcast, they try to find icons and influencers on, a, on to come on their show. And what I said was just everyday people, everyday normal people that have amazing stories, the ones that are totally relatable. I can get somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk or Jordan Harbinger or Ariana Huffington or or Dan Harris from Good Morning America. I can get all of these people, the the, the icons in our in in the industry, to come on to our show. But they're going to do absolutely nothing to promote. And I, you know, I'm not speaking out of school for for Gary Vaynerchuk. He came on my show and basically said when he was on my show, and he was a very nice guy, lovely guy. Really like his philosophy and his theory. But he said while he was on my show. I could be thinking of a million other places that I should rather be and should be rather than here on your show. Now, how does that make me feel as a host? And how does that make my audience feel as people listening? You know what? They're giving the big F you, Gary Vaynerchuk, to, to, my, to, to him as he's on my show. Now, if I take a normal guy like you, and I, I'm not saying that you're normal, <laughs> but I take a guy like you, Kevin, and I say, hey, Kevin, come on to my to my show. Share a little bit of your story. Tell me a little bit of the successes, the wins that you've had in your life. Share your vulnerable moments with me. And then we work through problem solving together when you're on my podcast. My audience has a much better chance of relating to you and therefore buying the products and services that either you're selling or I'm selling as a part of being on the show. That's a win for everybody, the guest, the audience, and the host as well. In, and the high-profile sort of um, you know A-grade celebrities get a lot of airtime in any case, and they got a lot of their own social media happening. And it's you know we try to find people that are interesting that that no one really knows about. And there are a lot of interesting people in the world with no profile, and there's a lot of smart people in the world with no profile. And those are definitely the people that that we try to. Try to find. I mean, that being said, there are a lot of high-profile people that are incredibly smart and are incredibly interesting. I think Oprah does a great job on her edited 30-minute podcast with high-profile people. I think that's a terrific podcast. There's a podcast called The Reboot Podcast. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that podcast. Jerry, no. Col- Jerry Colonna, he's a, he's a famous ex-VC turned Buddhist coach. And he um, interviews um, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs. That a lot of them that haven't succeeded, and he pulls apart and 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 almost does a live coaching session with them. And uh, there's a lot of authenticity that comes through that podcast, and a lot of vulnerability that that word that you used as well. So that's um, I mean that's a great the win podcast. when you when you're able to get somebody that comes on your show that's vulnerable and can share the real them and have a real conversation rather than a a soundbite or a uh, a canned conversation. That's the true win. Somebody that's actually genuine and and is displaying their real self. And that's how I whenever I go on podcasts, that's exactly how I try to be. And whenever I am doing my podcast, we're nearly 600 episodes into our podcast and we've produced thousands of other episodes for other people. I mean, we try to be who we, who we are. And then what, what's your business model? How do you, do you, how, you, you guys have consulting services or? Yep. We go from concept to launch. We te- teach people that are, that are familiar with the podcasting space, but don't know, really know how to get into it. So high achievers, entrepreneurs, busy people that want to use podcasting as a, uh, as a marketing tool, but have not, uh, you know, really taken the, and they don't want to DIY it. They're willing to spend the money for consulting services. So we go from concept to launch with, uh, with our podcast consulting. And then we go beyond that. We get into the full production, uh, editing and, and hosting and, and, um, and, uh, distributing uh, podcast episodes as well. I mean, podcasting is very much like building a website, right? It's, it's easy to get something up there and to get something going. It gets exponentially 
more difficult to create that quality and a, a large amount of effort just for a little bit more quality, right? I think people focus a little bit too much on audience growth and not enough on content, content management and guest management. And that's the real key. Uh, you know, I could build a, monet a monetized podcast and not release one episode. You know, we did a case study of our, we thought it was challenging for us to look at uh, the Nice Guys on Business podcast, which is our home, our anchor podcast and say, well, sure, this is going to be easy to monetize because we've got a million and a half downloads at that time. And, and this might be a challenge because nobody's going to believe that you could actually do it. So we created a separate podcast called the BizWiz podcast. We went to a conference. We invited 150 people on our show that we met at that conference. We put 40 people that we filtered down on the show uh, from from the uh, from the invitations that we sent out. 40 people made made the uh, made the cut and made it onto the podcast. We ended up selling seven of them, our consulting services, and made over twenty thousand dollars. So for us, the way we look at it, and and that was before even the first episode even aired of our podcast. So the reality of it is so many people focus on their audience growth, which is the wrong side of the equation, just like putting their ladder up on the traditional monetization wall of advertising, sponsorship, affiliates, all of those things we talked about before. If you just focus on the guest management tool, that's how you're going to successfully market and brand and sell your podcast and your, and your name. And podcasts are a great indirect marketing tool or a content marketing tool. I mean, for us, we're lucky in that we don't need to make money directly from our podcast and our podcast fulfills a handful of functions. One is I enjoy doing it. It keeps me sort of fresh and thinking. And the challenge of live interviews is actually, it's actually quite difficult. And I, I do find it a challenge to do live interviews and to stay sharp and to, to, to listen. Often when I re-listen to the interviews that I've done with people, I actually realize um, how much more I actually could have listened and how much I actually missed. So it's an exercise in active listening for me. It gives me an excuse to reach out to smart, interesting people and to have a chat with them. And of course, it gives, uh, it gives an, an excuse to create content that hopefully some of our potential market and our existing market finds interesting and a little bit of a branding exercise for people and existing customers like yourself to see who are the people behind this, this obscure product, this niche product called Manage Flitter and to hear a little bit about the personalities behind them. So it's a multiple, multiple reasons, but I'm happy that we don't have to try and make money directly from that podcast. That's not to say one day things may change, but uh, at the moment uh, we don't have to uh, worry about that. Right. And the nice part about it is I love seeing the evolution. You, you touched on it just for a moment, Kevin. I love seeing the evolution of our clients and, and how they work. And a lot of times they're focused, so focused on those questions that they have right in front of them that they don't focus on the answers to the questions that they're asking their guests. So you listen back to the interview and you're like, there was a great opportunity to ask a follow-up question and you, and you missed it. So uh, it is fun to watch. I, I remember when we first got started in the podcasting space, uh, you know, a few years ago, and um, it would take me probably an hour, hour and a half, two hours maybe to to um, to prepare for the interview. Literally now, I could get my info sheet uh, that has the demographic information of the guest, a little bit of bio of that about them. Spend five minutes doing my research, unless there's a book involved that they want me to read. But spend five minutes doing my research and just have a conversation. It's not like you can walk into a networking meeting and prepare to have that conversation with the person you're about to you know, to, to cross paths with, you just have to be able to think quickly on your feet. And I think 500 or so odd interviews later, I think I've gotten fairly okay at it. Not, I still have plenty to go, you know, plenty of uh, improvement to make, but I do feel like I've come a long way from when I first started. 
It's one thing I wish I had more time for was, was preparation. And especially since our podcast is about tech, there can be a lot of different elements. Even the news items, we start off the podcast with a couple of news, news items. Um, I think our listeners would benefit a lot if I actually would have the opportunity to spend a lot more time researching different aspects of the news article. And particularly when guests have written a book, I would really love to spend more time getting into the book. And I, I enjoy longer form interviews. And, and if I would change the podcast, I, I would definitely love to just do longer form interviews, really just talking to smart people for, for a couple of hours. I've, I've noticed some of the podcasts that I listen to, um, whether it's James Altucher or Chris Ryan on Tangentially Speaking, some of them have gone, or even Tim, Tim Ferriss, some of them have gone really long form in one podcast. You're talking two, three, four hours. So it's interesting <laughs> that you can really experiment with this media form. And of course, because podcasts aren't live, people can pause, you, you know, can come back to it. You can experiment. And if your guest is interesting enough um, and the audience happens to be super interested in that topic, you can drill down really deep, right? I think it has to do with what the goals and the strategy, well, the goals, let's start there. What are the goals of someone's podcast? If their goal is to build their brand, uh, they have an audience that might not need to take a deep dive into everything that they're, they're doing. If their goal is to get a message out, the message of their, of their guest, then I would say, yeah, it probably makes sense for them to take a deeper dive into, into the guest that's coming on the show and read the book and get a little bit more information. It, certainly if it's a tech show or something that has uh, a lot of, uh, New terminology. People are very curious. They want to know every little every little bit about the the iPhone X. So it might require a little bit of research. If, however, the goal is to make money from your show, um, all you're trying to do ultimately is interview a guest, build a relationship enough so that you can take it beyond the the podcast. So depending on the the goal of the show would dictate the the amount of preparation that you would have to so i i agree with you to a certain degree to another degree i say it just really depends on what you want your goal it sounds like you'd love to have a longer format show you'd love to be able to spend a little bit more time doing research there are formats like that and you have a specific audience for that it may not be the same audience that you have right now but uh certainly it's not uh it's not out of the question for you to to want to have those those that result from your show yeah and also uh, i like the format of of doing news as well i think there's actually there's always room for actually tech news podcasts. There's so much going on in our industry. And, and even though there's so much content, it's still a struggle to really stay on top of the relevant bits and pieces. Um, I mean, I know there was a Bitcoin podcast put out by one of the journalists at <laughs> Forbes that just went ballistic in a few months. You know, she did, I think, La Laura Shin, I think is her name. Um, and that yeah, the, uh, the the whole uh, cryptocurrency world uh, between Bitcoin and blockchain and and all of that is uh, you know people can't get enough of it. Whenever an, a new Apple product or a new tech product comes out or a CES is coming to town, there's always good relevant uh, podcasts that pop up uh, as a result. Mine was to try to keep a um a uh, an eye to to growing a business and for me we use our podcast the nice guys on business podcast that is our anchor show to show other people that become clients of ours how easy it is to be able to actually use this format to build your business tell us about your book nice guys finish first i keep wanting to say nice guys <laughs> finished last it's it's quite it's quite counterintuitive to what i want to say there tell, tell us about what the gist of that book is 
Sure. Well, the uh, the book came as a result of my speaking coach saying to me enough times, if you want to get the get the edge over all the speakers that are out there, what you need to do is have a, a book. And then she said, not only do you need to have a book, but you have to have a, a best selling book with over 100 reviews. <laughs> so I'm like, OK, well, let's let's go for that. So nine days after the book came out, based upon some some uh, some really good foot traffic that I did in the beginning, growing my Twitter base using Managed Letter, as I said before, uh, we were able to come out of the gate nine days after the book was released. It hit the number one status, number one ranking on uh, on Amazon in a couple different categories several weeks later as well. And probably about six or eight months into it, we tripped over the uh, the 100 review mark. So if you if you look for a goal, I mean, if you set a goal, you you, you try to make it make it happen. So you try to accomplish it. Um, the book came out again just to try to differentiate myself from all the other speakers that were out there, and it has worked. It has gotten me some good speaking gigs, and it got me the podcast to begin with. So I'm I'm really loving having the book in in my uh, in my corner and. It really just came as a result of uh, my speaking coach saying, you need to put this together. And, and it, most of the, uh, the foundation of the book is based upon my, my, uh, my strategy of better relationships equal better business. And that's where I started with that. And did you find uh, after you published the book that it has opened doors and has assisted you? Oh, it's definitely opened doors. I mean, for sure, it has been a, a very, very nice way for me to, to, to kind of um, – Send a little bit of a, a message to. I have a. I have a, just arrived in my house. I arrived a, a case of fifty books. I just use them as as um you know it's biz, big business cards. So when I send out a letter or I send out something, I send my book as a copy of it with the the handwritten note and and people. You know, some people love it. Some people are just like, oh, it's a book, you know, but it's it's a differentiate differentiating factor between me and other people that are out there promoting a similar message. And and that message is just all about better customer service. Well, I'll let you and uh, if whoever's listening to this podcast in on a secret. I've long wanted to do a book and I've, I've, I've made I make audio notes around that book. Right. And as I'm walking, sometimes I just. I just sort of stream of conscious around a topic, and um, I would love to. I would love to be able to clear out some time and actually write a book. And I've I've come up with a title. Tell me what you think about it. It's called A Little Bit of Chaos, right? And the concept of the book is sharing both my business journey mixed in with autobiography, and it alternates chapters. So one starts at the end where I am uh, with Manage Flutter and Manage Social today, and then the next chapter starts at the beginning with being born uh, in the suburbs of Johannesburg. And they sort of alternate, but sort of tend towards each other. And at the end, they sort of fuse into each other. And it's, and it's, and it's both part um, uh, reflection on, on my life that might or may not, uh, may be self-indulgent or may be interesting. But the other aspect is about, uh, you know, our journey of building a business uh, in a bootstrap manner uh, with, with zero resources and uh, having some level yeah. of success. Yeah, the nice part about that is that it's very similar to ha putting together a podcast. It just depends on what your goals are. You know, if your goals are just to put out a book so that you can have a legacy that you can go back to and say, this is my book, then uh, then you don't have to worry about all the other aspects of it. Because unfortunately, uh, writing a book is is one thing. Writing a book that's that's uh, that's popular is another. It's tough, so tough, it's, tough. it's yeah. Right. So writing a book is 20% writing, 80% marketing, you know, from a guy that's uh, helps uh, promote and boost uh, people's Twitter following and their message and their brand. Uh, I know that you appreciate and respect the fact that you could have a book that no one reads. And while it's great to have it, is the purpose that no one reads it or you want a lot of people to read it? Well, most people want a lot of people to read their book, even if it doesn't mean making a million dollars from it. They just want their message to get out there because they think it's going to help more people. You know, I wrote the book Nice Guys Finish First for that exact reason. I wanted to help more people to understand the, the, the benefit 
of, uh, of uh, gratitude and empathy and compassion in this world from a business perspective. Uh, whether I made money from the book or not uh, didn't matter at the time. I wanted to be able to share my message. Um, and it led to a whole bunch of other stuff, which ultimately has made me a, a lot of money. So for me, it wasn't about making money from the book, but indirectly, that's what happened. I would love to write a book that people enjoy. You know, that type of book that you really find interesting and you just look forward to picking it up again and reading it. That's, that's really what I'd like, to, I'd like to write. And I think a big part of that process as well is editing the hell out of it and rewriting it. And it's, um, you know, that's why writing is so painstaking that it's easy to hammer out some words, but to go and craft it into something that's a pleasure to read is incredibly difficult. Agreed. Agreed. I, I would assume, I would have to imagine that some of the most challenging books are the littlest books to write. I, one of my favorite books is a book called Who Moved My Cheese? Mm-hmm. And it was by Spencer Johnson. And it's, it's a small I don't book, think it's yeah. any, yeah, I don't think it's more than a hundred pages. And it's a story. It's a little parable about three, three mice and a story and the, and, and the change factor that happens in their life. And it is just amazing to read the story and think there's nothing to this book. It's the most simple book, but it's sold millions of copies across the world. It's like, I think it was Mark Twain that said, I wrote you a long letter because I didn't have time to write you a short letter. <laughs> right, exactly. I believe that. Doug, if people want to get hold of you or contact you, I see your website is turnkeypodcast.com and your and cool Twitter handle, DJ Doug, I guess a, a throwback to your previous life, right? Yeah, that's right. I don't know if you can see. There's a license plate right behind me. I know you might be able to see it, Kevin. Your audience can't, but there's a. Uh, it was. It came off of my car. I've spent 30 years as a uh, as a mobile DJ in, uh-huh. in the world, and just trying to figure out what that next step was. And I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed this little uh, journey through the podcasting and speaking and book writing space too. Well, if I, I know a lot of people chat to me about starting a podcast and want to start a podcast and even want to write a book. And I think one of the beautiful things about the internet is we can't contact anyone. I've had great success sending cold emails to all sorts of interesting people and uh, a large proportion of them respond back. So if you are interested in talking about podcasting or writing a book, um, you can definitely sense Doug's passion, which is, uh, which is always uh, you know, nice to meet someone with passion for whatever they do. You know, and right. that's, that's the first step um, to success. And so uh, d- just follow Doug on Twitter or you, I, you're on all the social media I can see. So uh, people will hunt you down. And we'll put, we'll put links on the show notes as well so people can track uh, you through there, through itsamonkey.com. And, um, yeah, appreciate you joining us on the podcast. And all the kind words about Managed Flitter are particularly appreciated by myself and the team as well. They are very humble team. And uh, I share all the shout-outs, and I'm going to actually edit out that shout-out and put it on the Slack channel so they can all start off our morning here with a nice uh, pat on the back. That, that is great. And we have just a, a, special, a special page built on our website just for your, uh, your podcast listeners. It's turnkeypodcast.com forward slash monkey. Terrific. Well, we appreciate that. We'll put that on the, the show notes, uh, turnkeypodcast.com forward slash monkey. And uh, yeah, podcasting is a lot of fun and you can start out very simply, even just doing one a month and um, use it as an excuse to talk to interesting people and smart people because more than ever, we all have to keep on learning in this world. So um, Doug, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. That's Doug Sandler. He's the author of Nice Guys Finish First and the CEO and founder of turnkeypodcast.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me here. Good luck. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Check Dog.
Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. I don't know, Kate, do you think nice guys finish first? Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I would like to think so. That's a whole topic for another conversation. <laughs> yes, podcasting. It's here to stay. Doug definitely is, uh, he's definitely got the broadcast aspect down. He's polished. He sounds polished, right? He sounds, he's, whoa. He's, yeah, he's uh, very polished. He's polished. Yeah, he's, got, he's got a good, like, radio voice and, and podcasting, like, demeanor. Yeah. So, yeah, he does, he does well. Carries himself really well. Yeah, I think... Um, I think it's definitely it's you can tell people that have worked in radio and especially maybe started before even the the, the podcasting the podcasting days and uh, yeah it's uh, it's still you know it's weird podcasts have become so popular but it's still so we're all still struggling with the same issues of getting guests and monetizing the podcast and building community around it and it's still it's still a bit of a disjointed type of you know, it's been successful in spite of itself. It's not a nice, neat little technology like YouTube, right? It's, no, it's, it's true. I, I mean, I would, I would bet that your mum doesn't really know what a podcast is. No, well, she knows what it is. Right. Uh, definitely knows what it is and what it's all about, but doesn't, doesn't listen to them, if you know what I mean. Like right. doesn't have like a, like a podcast library or regular episodes that she listens to, no. Yeah. It's still a little bit like, Technical, it's still based on that RSS feed, right? Which is, I mean, a lot of people don't mm. even know what an RSS feed is. So it's still, but they've really been successful in spite of themselves, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah, definitely. It's, I've, I've also found too, like it's, it's quite, despite the idea of it being easy, you know, to listen to, to people talking and stuff like that, to sort of, as you said earlier, like you need to either block out time and do exercise, but it, for me, like I listen to most of the music and podcasts while I'm working mm-hmm. and a lot of the time I'll get so so drawn into what I'm doing that I'm actually tuned out what I've been listening to. So then you sort of, you don't get that like, you know, I'm a passionate follower of such and such podcast because you just sort of dip in and out of things. Like you're not really like a an avid fan. You see, I can't listen to podcasts while I'm working. Like, yes, yeah, very it, tricky. It will just be a total waste. And the part, a lot of the podcasts, you know, probably if, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you, you can hear I'm an intense guy, right? Like I'm sort of, you know, and so the podcasts I listen to, a lot of them are, are quite intense. So they require, they require my focus. And if I listen to it, I know James who, who used to be, he was the first co-host many years ago on this podcast and he was my co-founder at Managed Flutter. He would listen to conference talks and all sorts of things while he was coding, you know? Yeah, and I don't know how you I, do that. I don't know how he did that and he seemed to get a lot out of it. But for me, I need to listen to music while I'm working and um, that helps me get in the zone. And so, yeah, there's a lot of podcasts that I, that I miss out on um, because um, there's just, you know, 
there's there's just so many of them and and Doug made the point as well as you know everyday guests or everyday people being the more interesting guests and I sort of I sort of like you know agree with that as well and a lot of our guests I like to get to to, to a little bit under the skin and one one of uh, a podcast I re- listen to regularly is called Tangentially Speaking which by an interesting author called Christopher Ryan and he wrote a book about the evolution of uh, of human relationships called Sex at Dawn so he's a bit of a he's like a social anthropologist type of guy and he's been travel he's been Kate he's been a digital nomad before the term existed <laughs> you know he's lived all over the place with with his wife and he continues to move around and um, he meets these interesting people on his travels whether it's, it's guys in Mexico doing alternative health treatments to 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 someone who's a female professional surfer to and and yeah and some of his podcasts have gone on he recently did one with an author that went on for four hours and they just spoke and spoke and spoke and so yeah just totally esoteric and random guys doing alternative rehab therapies for drug addicts in the u.s uh, or sorry in mexico but from the u.s so I, i definitely like the human component and i hope with some of our guests we we try to bring that human component in and still make it interesting and and a bit relevant to our industry yeah yeah no i do i agree i think it's interesting to hear from people that i guess they're a little bit more relatable and that are like you you know when you listen to some of these celebrities and stuff you know you sort of personally anyway i sort of expect them to be on the radio um and on podcasting, I like to be like, oh, who's this? Or they're interesting or they're sort of, you know, like they're more quiet achievers, I guess. You know, they're not these big celebrity figures, you know, that they've got all these managers. You know, they're just like more down to earth and they, they really know what they're doing because it's their job and, and they're really submerged in what they're doing. And, yeah, I, I tend to agree as well. I think to have that kind of human level is really really good i think you like the understated people because you understated yourself i think <laughs> i think uh, the rah-rah does doesn't doesn't work for you right no nah, that's why really. you're in canada you're not in new york right or la <laughs> you're like yeah. yeah it's like where yeah, it's, it's um i i like smart people you know smart people just intelligence is just just fascinates me and intrigues me and and what what intrigues me about intelligence is that you don't know how non-intelligent you are until you with a smart person and they come up with an original perspective and I, I almost get frustrated I'm like that's so smart I wish I could have thought <laughs> of that, that. Yeah. yeah like when I listen to sort uh, of smart people like uh, you know Mark Andreessen and 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 these tech entrepreneurs guys and I listen to them and I'm like oh my brain's missing a lot of parts compared to your brain you know and it's and it's actually to be honest it's quite humbling as well like I'd, I like to listen to smart people because it it keeps you humble it's so easy especially in today's world to create this world where you think you're so fantastic and people are liking your posts everywhere and it's like yeah man, you know they're liking but it's 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 to keep ourselves humble that we not only do we not know a lot but we don't even know what we don't know and that's that's that there's what we know we don't know and there's what we don't know that we don't know and that's that's what we have to stay humble to but yeah. anyway yeah. getting a bit philosophical today kate for some other reason <laughs> yeah i was gonna say as well like meeting a lot of new people here uh-huh. in canada and uh-huh. uh 
yeah, on like numerous occasions. It's weird because you sort of you meet all these people from different countries and, you know, everyone's like grown up in different environments and stuff. And you sort of realize that you're all pretty like you're all smart at different things. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like you said, you don't know what you don't know. And then when somebody like enlightened you to all this stuff, you're like, wow, like, you know, they they show you this other side of them and they're actually like a super expert in this one thing, but, you know, you don't touch on that until you start to have that conversation and get to know them. Yeah, and, and I think that's why it's so important, the way I put it, is always trying to get in, new inputs into the system, you know, and uh, this is where I think social media is bad because we'll follow the pages we like and friends with the people that we know, and it, we land up creating these echo chambers, right? But I like yeah. to take myself out to environments or talks that that. Uh, actually, I feel a bit of resistance to maybe even a talk that that's not my political sort of leaning or something where I know that it's going to you know upset me or a festival or a retreat that I know nothing about or uh, I think it's so 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 important that and uh, it's it's and and it requires I think a lot of effort because it's none of us want to be uncomfortable right it's not a nice feeling. No. It's really not a nice feeling. We want to be around people that relate to us that have the same. That's why some sort of political thing happens and we unfollow people with different points of views because we get annoyed with them. And so we land up, you know, in our little echo chamber. But it's, um, I mean, it's one thing I really love about the liberal democratic society. Often when I walk through, I was... I was doing a little bit of, which is unusual for me, shopping on Saturday at Pitt Street Mall in Sydney, which is is the main shopping area in downtown Sydney. And there's just people from every single culture in the world. And I love that success of of the liberal democratic society where we we can. You see the different way of dress and talking and and, and it's it's wonderful. We've got a lot to learn from each other. And um, I think... I think we can stretch ourselves and, and push ourselves and uh, a little bit more. And having a remotely distributed team is great as well, where we've got you know people in Ukraine and Russia and Brazil, and and we all learn a bit about each other and the, and the foods and 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 it requires a bit of maturity not to. We don't really bring up politics or anything that could and, until unless you know someone really really well, because that can be um, pretty pretty tricky areas. But um, yes, definitely. And, you know, and particularly when you're in university or when you're young, when you're in your 20s, that should be just the time of just, you know, building yourself up, getting to understand yourself. And sometimes you only get to understand yourself by getting all these inputs into the system. And, and, and you don't even know what you think until you've you pushed into a position sometimes, right? True. Very true. And you have the most growth when you're uncomfortable as well. So it's almost worth pushing yourself to discomfort just to grow. Well, someone once said to me, you know, they made a point, which is, is quite good. They said, well, what is exercise? Exercise is intentionally making your body uncomfortable for the sake of growth, right? And other aspects of your life should be similar as well, right? It's, it should be, that's, that's, it's, it's, the, it's the cruel sort of contradiction of life is that uh, we learn. And, and university, in a way, sort of like exercise. It's in, I used to say when I lectured at uni to, to the students, it's, it's if if you're actually not stressed most of the time to some degree, um, it's it's actually something's not right because it's it's supposed to be stretching you and it's supposed to be hard, right? It's supposed to be hard. So anyway, it's supposed to be challenging. It's supposed to be challenging, yeah. And obviously, there's a limit. You know, it's you, you don't want to be distressed and 
anxious and not sleeping every single night. And, uh, and you know, to be honest, startup world is the same. You know, startup world is you're always facing a new challenge. You're always facing a new problem. Technology lets you down. Customers let you down. The industry changes. You don't have the answer. Sometimes it feels like everyone else is getting it right and you not, which, of course, is not true at all. And it's uh, and it stretches one. It's it's definitely stretches one. But anyway, maybe we should start a new new podcast with life, life, life according to Kate and Kev. <laughs> life, just life, just called life. Life according to Kate and Kev. <laughs> I don't know how long that would last. Well, anyway, Before you've I been ran listening. out of my wisdom. I think I think we got pretty philosophical today. I think we got pretty pretty philosophical. But um, that was episode one one five of the It's a Monkey podcast. Check out the show notes to get all the links to everything. You can also subscribe to an, to a email notification when we put out a new show. We are trying to keep these going at one a week. If you're enjoying this podcast, tell someone about it. Tell us about it. Tweet about it. Follow Kate and myself on Twitter. And Instagram, Kate put some great photos up. I tried to put some great photos up. I put a, I put a cool one of a spider recently. We've got a lot of great spiders in Sydney. Um, I like to take photos of interesting sunrises and sunsets and a lot of nature. I'm not good at the selfie thing. I just, I'm really not. Like, so don't worry. You're not going to be inundated with any selfies. There's a knack for that. I've never, I've never mastered it either. Yeah, I don't know. I've got some friends that seem to do the selfie thing but i yeah i i uh i don't do it so i don't like seeing my own face on social so uh, but thanks so much if you've made it this far thank you so much we hope you're having a good day wherever you are and we'll catch you hopefully next week on the it's a monkey podcast with myself and my co-host kate frappel